It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth. In America, wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. And good Friday morning, everyone. Fred Jackson sitting in for Sandy today. So much news to talk about, and we'll get to that in just a second. I got to tell you, one of the benefits of getting up early in the morning is sometimes you get to see spectacular sunrises. And I just witnessed one of those. Our office is across the street before coming over the studio. I had to stop and take a picture. I don't always do that. But absolutely spectacular, at least uh, what we saw this morning where we live here in Tupelo, Mississippi. However, I will add the caveat that, uh, you know, the old saying is, uh, what is it, the red sky in the morning, sailors take warning, red sky at night, sailors delight. Well, there's a red sky out there this morning. So beautiful this morning uh, in our home studio here in Tupelo, Mississippi. But uh, that uh, gives us a signal we're with weather this weekend. But uh, I sure enjoyed seeing that. I just praise the Lord that I have the opportunity when you get up early like this to see Uh, Such beautiful sunrises, because it reminds us, doesn't it, whether it's a sunrise, sunset, that we serve a mighty God, an absolutely incredible God, who is in complete control. (laughs) And we need to be reminded of that, don't we, when we're in the kind of man-created chaos that we are in the midst of, uh, certainly in this country and certainly around the world right now. So we take encouragement from those things. There was a beautiful full moon Last night, get up this morning, there were all kinds of stars, and uh, and I just get so encouraged and reminded uh, that regardless of what happens today or yesterday, uh, our God is still in control, and we can we can just rest in that, folks. But we do need to talk about what's going on in our world because we're supposed to be salt and light, right? And uh, that's what we try to do, and I know what Sandy does every morning, and that's why you love her and tune in all the time. So uh, let's get at it. Uh, I think he's going to go down as President Joe, I love executive orders, Biden. Uh, I hope you understand this because they, they keep showing this. He is now up to at least 40 executive orders, 40 executive orders, and he's just 10 days into his presidency. And they've been showing how that compares to Donald Trump even and, and uh, you know Barack Obama. So other Democratic and Republican presidents, uh, he is full steam ahead on executive orders, which is kind of strange because during the election campaign, at one point, I think it was in October, uh, in interviews, he talked about, you know, uh, too many executive orders, and that really uh, points to the person being a dictator. Well, you know what? Uh, And and it's really interesting, even the mainstream media, the left-wing media like the New York Times, and uh, some other news outlets are scratching their heads and saying, you know, President Biden, uh, we love you. You know, New York Times, we love you. 
Uh, however, this executive order thing is getting out of control uh, because, you know, executive orders are only good for when that president's in office. They can be tossed out the door. And what the left media is saying, we, we need to go to the legislature so we can get some things in the law books. Uh, but Joe Biden is not doing that. He is full steam ahead. And, hey, listen, uh, right out of the gate, uh, one of the first things he did was, um, you know, border security. Open those borders. Stop that border wall building that uh, President Trump started. Uh, we've got to stop that. Uh, and uh, we're putting a hold on deportations. Now, a federal judge has intervened in that deportation executive order and said, uh, you know, President Biden, you can't do that. You can't just change laws all by yourself with executive orders. So he's put a halt on that. But the other executive orders, of course, uh, the refugee policy, he's opening up the gates. Under, I think, President Trump was about 25,000 refugees coming in each year. Uh, Biden is up that to 125,000. And he's taken down any barriers to uh, people coming in from terror-sponsoring nations. Uh, He's done away with that, which President Trump put in place. You know, the media like to call it a Muslim ban. Uh, That's not true at all. It was a ban on countries known to harbor terrorists. And, uh, you know, but there are people like AOC, of course, uh, another executive order has to do with uh, climate, climate change, they say, global warming, and uh, he canceled the Keystone Project, Biden did, and, uh, and, and now we know he's putting a freeze on uh, new exploration on government lands. It's going to cost tens of thousands of jobs. But one of those that just loves what President Biden is doing is our good friend AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And uh, she, she's on the far left of the party. Remember that now. Joe Biden was supposed to be a moderate. She is on the far left of the party. Listen to what she has about all these executive orders. Cut six. I'm feeling extraordinarily encouraged, and I think that the significance of uh, President Biden's executive orders communicates a lot. One is that it really communicates that he meant what he said on the campaign trail, that he would make climate change a central priority of his administration, and that he considers it not just a national security threat, but frankly, you know, the global matter that it is. But it also really significant. It also really signifies a good faith openness and relationship to those activist communities. A good faith relationship with those activist communities. Now that's another way of saying that Joe Biden is beholding. He's beholding to these far left wing uh, activist groups like the, the global warming crowd, uh, the pro abortion crowd. We're going to talk about his latest executive order yesterday dealing with abortion. Uh, he's beholding to those. Now, that's what she just said. She's on the far, far left of the party, and she is praising Biden for abiding by what these left-wing activist groups want. Joe Biden is no moderate. Hey, I, I mentioned just a few moments ago, Joe Biden on the campaign trail. He was knocking the use of executive orders. Let's play that. Remind people. I got to get the votes. That's why, you know, uh, the one thing that I, ha- I have this strange notion we are a democracy. Some of my Republican friends and some of my Democratic friends even occasionally say, well, if you can't get the votes by executive order, you're going to do something. Things you can't do by executive order unless you're a dictator. We're a democracy. We need consensus. Ha. Huh. Well, you know, that was then <laughs> and now is now. 
And uh, you're out there saying, I'm sure, like a lot of people are thinking, politicians, uh, you know, lying is just part of the game. And there you have it. Uh, What he said during the election campaign means absolutely nothing today. He is moving forward. Now, he used the term dictator, not not this show host. He used the term uh, dictator. And uh, that's what we're witnessing here. No question about it. Hey, I mentioned yesterday, uh, I think this was executive order number 40 uh, yesterday, uh, and was dealing with what Biden calls reproductive health for women. No, what it is, he's talking about abortion. And he basically did away with what President Trump had put in place, President Trump's effort uh, stopping federal dollars being used for abortion. But yesterday, without using the word abortion, President Biden uh, just tore all of that up. More federal funding going to be used. Uh, he did away with the uh, what's been in place for now for years, the Mexico City policy. And that's gone back and forth. Republican presidents come in and uh, they invoke that policy, which says federal dollars cannot be used uh, to fund groups that uh, carry out abortions uh, around the world. But Joe Biden did away with that yesterday. So your dollars, your tax dollars now are going to be freely used, not only for more abortions at Planned Parenthood in this country, but abortions being done around the world. Marjorie Dannenfalser is president of the Susan B. Anthony List. Here's what she had to say about Biden's actions yesterday. Funneling, funneling U.S. tax dollars to abortion groups overseas is an abhorrent practice that flies in the face of the unity Joe Biden and Kamala Harris promised to inspire. And uh, echoing the comments of others, she blasted the Biden administration for once again allowing taxpayer money to fund abortions. Maintaining the move was payback for a group of abortion industry giants that support the president's campaign, that support his campaign for president. Uh, She's exactly right. Uh, Planned Parenthood, at least a million dollars, and I'm probably lowballing that, at least a million dollars into the Joe Biden campaign. Uh, that's what it's all about. Lila Rose of live action. Pushing abortion on other nations is not compassion. It is ideological neocolonization, she says. This decision is a dark day for our nation. It will lead to more deaths of more children. And for that, Joe Biden should be ashamed. I wouldn't hold my breath. Waiting for Joe Biden to be ashamed about that. In fact, as you just heard, AOC and others are just mighty proud of of what he is doing. All right, we know the mainstream media just loves Democrats, don't they? Big story yesterday involving Democrat Governor of New York Andrew Cuomo. You remember during the height of the pandemic, early on last spring, uh, what they started to do in New York is that they had overcrowding in hospitals and they knowingly, knowingly started to transfer uh, pandemic COVID-19 positive patients and putting them into nursing homes, all right? Putting them into nursing homes. Now, there were stories at the time about nursing home deaths in New York, but yesterday, the Attorney General of the state of New York who is a Democrat, she was pressured into doing an investigation of nursing home deaths due to COVID. It turns out 
they're 56% higher than what Cuomo was admitting. 56% higher. We're talking a number of 13,000. 13,000 people died in New York nursing homes last spring, early summer. At a time when Cuomo, at a time when Cuomo had the option, remember the, the uh, uh, President Trump had that uh, Navy hospital ship go up there? They weren't using that. That was underused. Samaritan's Purse put that uh, hospital in, in New York, in, in the park there in New York. But that Navy hospital ship in particular was underused at a time when Cuomo was putting those folks into nursing homes. And now we know from this report, from his own attorney general, that he, that he deliberately misled the public. 56% higher. All right, a lot of people upset about this. Here's, here's uh, Dr. Mark Siegel uh, on Fox and Friends this morning uh, talking about this. Uh, let's play the clip. It's not just the numbers, Brian, although the numbers really were revealing, and I would have predicted that the numbers were half of what he said they were or the state said they were, because they definitely had higher than the national average. We're talking now about 40% of deaths from COVID-19 in the state due to, due to nursing home deaths. When you're readmitting patients to nursing homes who have COVID, you're, it's like Tinder. You're setting a fire in the nursing home. Here's what the report also revealed, Brian, that we didn't know. Families were not informed disgraceful no communications with families personal protective equipment inadequate testing inadequate and by the way nursing homes can never be set up properly for covid 19 you know why you know what it takes to properly set up for covid you need negative pressure you need isolation you need people wearing like spacesuits personal protective equipment you need knowledge of how infectious diseases spread which is not what nursing homes know about so it's really never the right place and, yeah, mainstream media loves, uh, loves Democrats, Andrew Cuomo. Last night, this report from the Democrat Attorney General of New York barely got a mention on the mainstream media. In fact, there were some networks that didn't talk about this at all. Can you imagine if it was a Republican governor, what would have happened last night? The mainstream media? Hey, listen, much more ahead on this media that you can trust, folks, for the whole story. You're listening to Sandy Rios in the morning. Fred Jackson sitting in. We're back in a moment. While in the emergency room with my wife, as she was struggling with the COVID-19 virus herself, and I looked at her, I said, are you scared? And she said, a little bit, but I've been through worse. The Certainty of Mankind's History with Uncertainty, an article by Peter Rosenberger. And then as her fever was approaching almost 103, she started singing in Christ alone. I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. And that's how she has anchored herself in the certainty of Christ through her huge medical journey that has included 80 surgeries, both of her legs amputated, 100 doctors have treated her, 12 hospitals, and now the COVID-19 virus. And so when we live with those kinds of uncertainties, anchoring ourselves in Christ, in Christ alone, that's the only place we can run to where there is certainty. To read this article and more, visit afa.net forward slash the stand. So there's this guy and his name is Jose and he's healthy. He's got a happy family. He's busy running his own payroll company in Texas. Goes to the doctor and gets news you never want to hear. Cancer. 
And here's the thing. He had switched from medical insurance to MediShare, which is a Christian healthcare sharing ministry. So the question for Jose and his wife Estrella was, is this really going to work? Especially after they got hit with an $85,000 bill. That bill was paid so fast that it was amazing. We didn't have to worry. They paid right away. All his doctor visits, it was just amazing. So yes, MediShare works. And a typical family saves $500 a month when they switch to MediShare. But it's not just about the money. Just to have believers knowing that they're praying for you, you know, you it just it melted your heart. And I tell you, I, I have nothing, nothing but great things to say about Medishare. Why wait? You can call now, 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. At Liberty University, we believe in honoring service. That's why we offer first responder and military communities deep discounts on all of our 450-plus online programs. Military students, veterans, and spouses pay just $250 per credit hour for undergraduate and $275 to $300 per credit hour for graduate and Ph.D. courses. First responders receive a 25% tuition discount, and those who qualify may be able to use both discounts for even greater savings. It's our way to say thank you for all you do. To learn more, text DEGREE to 49595. San Francisco Public Schools about to go through a cultural cleansing. The school district announced they are going to rename any school named after someone tied to slavery. George Washington High School is on the list. So is Thomas Jefferson Elementary School and William McKinley Elementary. Paul Revere is on the list, as is Francis Scott Key, the guy who wrote our national anthem. Roosevelt Middle School will also get a new name. School leaders were not sure if the school was named in honor of Theodore or Franklin, so, you know, better to be safe than sorry. I wish I could tell you that I'm surprised by this whitewashing of American history, but I am not. I wrote a book about this, Culture Jihad, How to Stop the Left from Killing a Nation. The left wants to destroy our history, our culture, and they plan to build a socialist utopia on the rubble of what was once a free society. Exactly how long? Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. And welcome back to the Friday edition of Sandy Rios in the Morning. Fred Jackson sitting in for Sandy. Uh, if you've been listening for the last uh, 22 minutes or so, maybe the theme of this program is uh, politicians have short memories or um, uh, the, po- the population of the country is right to be skeptical about politicians and truth being mentioned in the same sentence. Uh, and we talked just a few moments ago about Andrew Cuomo and uh, what his attorney general's report has found out, Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, misleading the, the people of New York with regards to the deaths in nursing homes. 56% more, his, only, his own attorney general's report, 56% more than what he told the, Amer- the people there in New York. More deaths, 13,000 deaths in nursing homes because he had a program during the height of the pandemic last year that put knowingly COVID-19 positive people into nursing homes. 13,000 at least in nursing homes dying in that state. And we mentioned the mainstream media, not a word last night. And then there's Joe Biden, the, who's going to be the king of uh, executive orders. There is no question about it, up to at least 40 now. 
Yet, and we want to play this again, this is Joe Biden from last October on the campaign trail, kind of dissing the idea of executive orders. Play that. I got to get the votes. That's why, you know, uh, the one thing that I, ha- I have this strange notion, we are a democracy. Some of my Republican friends and some of my Democratic friends even occasionally say, well, if you can't get the votes by executive order, you're going to do something. Things you can't do by executive order unless you're a dictator. We're a democracy. We need consensus. Yeah, unless you're a dictator. <laughs> well, one of our good friends in Washington who's watching all of this is Gary Bauer, the Campaign for Working Families. He joins us right now. Good morning, Gary. Hey, good morning, Fred. Well, do we have a dictator in the White House right now? Joe Biden seemed to be saying that. I, I'll tell you, you, your summary was absolutely correct. This is uh, We knew it was going to be bad. We tried to warn people how bad it was going to be. And I, I'm concerned, Fred, that maybe most Americans still don't know how bad it is because they don't uh, hang on every word coming out of Washington, D.C. But when you start your administration, and keep in mind that uh, – that Joe Biden's party controls the House of Representatives. It's tied in the Senate, but the under our Constitution, his vice president would break the ties. He's not even trying to get things passed through the Congress. He's doing it, as you've just pointed out, by executive order. And, and the kind of things he's doing tells you everything about what a myth it was when we were told this was, uh, he's an old line Democrat. He's more of a middle of the road kind of guy. Uh, quite the opposite. He's already signaling that he's going to be more left wing and more radical than Barack Obama was. Hey, uh, to your point, Gary, I want to play a clip of AOC. Here's what she had to say about Joe Biden, uh, yesterday, I believe it was. Go ahead. I'm feeling extraordinarily encouraged, and I think that the significance of uh, President Biden's executive orders communicates a lot. One is that it really communicates that he meant what he said on the campaign trail, that he would make climate change a central priority of his administration, and that he considers it not just a national security threat, but frankly, you know, the global matter that it is. But it also really um, it also really signifies a good faith openness and relationship to those activist communities. A good faith openness to those activist communities. What she's talking about there, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, is the far left wing of the party. Joe Biden is their puppet. Yeah, it's, it's, um, everybody should be grabbing their kids and their billfolds when they hear AOC praising a president of the United States because we're, we're all in a great deal of trouble. Now, look, it's, uh, th- this is a, a serious moment. And, Fred, I, I have to tell you, one of the things that is driving my blood pressure up, and I'm not supposed to let it go up, uh, is the, the, the newly elected president, uh, in every speech he gives, is talking about unity. He's telling everybody we need to come together. And I know there is a yearning in America for people to come together. We've all been disturbed by the divisions and the splits. But as I keep trying to explain to people, you can't come together when there are fundamental differences uh, between us. Somebody's going to win these battles and somebody's going to lose them. And I really think that every time Biden says he wants unity, what he's really saying to half of America is, I want your submission. I want you to sit down, shut up, 
and take whatever we're going to hand in your direction. One of the perfect examples of this is that, look, if you're, if you're a guy that makes a living at your computer, you can do that at home, and I'm not knocking that. I, I, I'm on my computer a lot during the day. So maybe you don't really care about something like the energy industry. But if you're a guy that you know, has to go out there and work with your hands to put food on the table for your spouse and your children, you care about what's happening to manufacturing jobs, energy jobs, and so forth. It's absolutely clear that the president and vice president and his allies have declared war on the energy industry. It's one of the biggest employers in America. Maybe a lot of young millennials are applauding that because they're worried about global warming. But I would just remind them their fellow Americans are going to be on food stamps. Yeah. Because their fellow Americans that work in the energy industry are not going to be able to be retrained and do solar panel work. Most of those jobs are in China anyway. So as we see, and we'll see it more and more, this administration is going after the interests of, of urban Americans, and the rest of the country is being left out tanked, left out to, to dry. Well, Gary, what we also learned yesterday is that Joe Biden, despite the fact that, uh, you know, people say he's uh, a faithful member of his Roman Catholic Church, he's actually a radical pro-abortionist, and he proved that yesterday. He did. He did indeed. He uh uh, reverse the Mexico City policy that Donald Trump implemented on the first day of his presidency or the first week of his presidency. And, and what that simply says is your tax money cannot go to foreign organizations and entities that also do abortions. So this isn't even about abortions in the United States. This is about abortions in places like Mexico and Brazil and who knows where. So what, that, what Joe Biden did was say, I'm going to send your tax money to these organizations. I'm going to subsidize them in these foreign countries, the same organizations that are doing hundreds of thousands of abortions. Now, Fred, I know the country's changed over the years, but it hasn't changed that much. And we've seen, we've seen some polls in just the last couple of days. Not only do Republicans oppose doing this, independents oppose it, and 50% of Democrats oppose it. So, um, look, I, anybody that would have asked, in fact, I was saying it even before the election, Joe Biden is an extremist on abortion. Remember, he was part of the Obama-Biden administration that declared war on the little sisters of the poor because they wouldn't bend to the administration's pro-abortion policies. Mm. Well, of course, uh, our other concern with executive orders, uh, one of the many concerns, you've talked about the oil and gas industry, which, by the way, uh, some people say will cost a million jobs. A million jobs. It's just absolutely yeah. incredible. But also, Gary, we're very concerned about uh, what Joe Biden and the Democrats mean for Israel. Yes. Uh, you know, personnel is policy. It's an old saying here in Washington. It simply means the kind of people you put in your administration is a, is a strong signal about what kind of an administration it's going to be. And in uh, appointment after appointment, the president is uh, putting people in place to have a long history of being uh, anti-Israel. And some of them 
uh, a disturbing uh, history of being anti-Semitic. So, um, you know, we're, we're very worried about that. One of the things he's done is restored, again, with your tax money, uh, funding to the Palestinian organizations that are sponsors of terror, uh, the, you know, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, groups like that, that regularly blow up Israelis. Uh, Trump stopped funding them. Biden is sending them money again. And uh, we're hearing through the grapevine that he's already leaning on Israel to make more concessions uh, in order to get peace in the Middle East. Well, we've, we've had relative peace in the Middle East the last four years. And one of the reasons we have is that Trump stopped giving money to the Palestinians and started talking to the other countries in the region and said, look, to these other countries, you need to work with Israel to thwart and counter the danger from Iran. And so we saw multiple peace treaties get made in the last couple of years between Muslim and Arab countries with Israel, because together they realized that they're all threatened by the radical mullahs who run Iran. And Biden appears to be on his way to reversing all of that. Well, we're finding out just in 10 days, since uh, Inauguration Day, uh, just what the Biden agenda is all about, where he plans to take this country. The big question, Gary, on a lot of people's mind is, what, what is the Republican Party going to do about this? Well, I, I would phrase it a little differently, Fred. I, I guess I think all of us should be asking ourselves, what are mm. we going to do about it, whether you identify strongly as a Republican or, or whatever. Now, look, there's signs of pushback. Uh, We've got conservative attorney generals in 26, 27 states. Uh, they're beginning to look at lawsuits. In fact, in Texas, they've already filed the lawsuit against one of the things President Biden did to attack the energy industry. I think we're going to see more and more of those things in the courts. Um, but there's also things we can do. I mean, I, I would uh, say to parents and grandparents, You've got to make this a top priority to teach your children and your grandchildren uh, American history, uh, real American history, not anti-American history that's being taught in our schools now. Uh, I think if you know if you're a regular churchgoer, uh, you, you know, try to find like-minded people in your church that agree with you, and start a citizens group in your church where you all can talk together and figure out how you can alert other members of your congregation about the things that are going on. And, of course, I would say to the Republican Party, uh, you, you better get a wake-up call, because if you think that uh, the, the Trump years were some sort of aberration and you can just get back to the old agenda of worrying about Wall Street and your big donors, you're nuts. If the Republican Party does that, there won't be a Republican Party. I think it's got to be a working-class, conservative, populist party, if it does that, if it speaks up, if it goes on the attack, goes on offense instead of playing defense, uh, they've got a good chance of stopping a lot of the worst things that uh, Biden still has planned. Gary, you live in Virginia, and I'm sure you've heard of the story and what you just said with regards to getting out of the chair and getting active and being active. Want to play you a clip of this uh, Virginia dad who went to a school board there in Loudoun County the other night, and he let it be known because he's totally frustrated with the idea of schools continuing to be shut down. He even took his kids 
and I just found out this morning his name is Brandon uh, Michon, I believe it is. His kids got up first to talk to the school board, and they totally ignored his kids. They were talking between themselves, not even listening to them. Now we can understand the frustration that you're going to hear in his voice. Here's Brandon Michon. The garbage workers who pick up my trash risk their lives every day more than anyone in this school system. Figure it out or get off the podium because you know what? There are people like me and a line of other people out there who will gladly take your seat and figure it out. It's not a high bar. Raise the bar. Figure it out. You know, he was interviewed last night, I think, by Tucker Carlson. Mm. What you just heard in his voice, it's not him. Uh, but he was just so frustrated at that meeting the other night, uh, Brandon Michon. He's just a dad. The schools are locked down. And, and he's just, we got to do something about this. And parents like uh, Brandon, are, I think, are showing the way. We've got to get out of the chair, stop complaining, and do something about it. You know, Fred, I was uh, standing in my living room when I first uh, watched that clip, and I was, uh, I was yelling out loud uh, <laughs> my encouragement uh, to that gentleman. And, and I, I, you know, look, what you heard in his voice, that's righteous anger. Mm. There are millions of Americans that are being treated terribly uh, by our, uh, our betters, quote-unquote, by faceless government bureaucrats, by cowardly uh, officials at all levels of government, federal, state, and local. And we're seeing it over and over again. There are millions of people whose whole livelihoods have been wrecked by their businesses shutting down when there was no scientific evidence to show that that was necessary. Just like now, we've scared people to death thinking that their kids are all going to die if school goes uh, back into session, when the science has shown clearly the coronavirus, thank God, hasn't killed uh, as many American children as usually die in a typical flu season. Ah, but Gary, yeah, we got to run. You know, we're told by the Democrats we need to follow the science. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, one of those other uh, lie statements. Hey, Gary, great, great to have you on this morning. Uh, your end of day is absolutely terrific. Gives us a summary of what's going on. Give us the the, uh, the address very quickly. Thanks, Fred. It's ouramericanvalues.org. Always right. great to be with you. All right. You take care of yourself. All right. Yeah. Going to go to the phones. 888-589-8840 is the number to call. Want to hear from you when we come back. Most people believe that everyone in heaven will share the same experience. But the fact is, the kind of heaven we experience in the next life is largely determined by how we live as a Christian in this life. This week on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explains what we should be doing right now to prepare for eternity in heaven. Join us this week for Pathway to Victory. Weekday mornings at 6 Central on American Family Radio. You can tell it's getting close to Easter when you start seeing Cadbury's cream eggs everywhere, but your taste buds may get turned off by their latest promotional idea. In a commercial called Cream Egg Golden Goobalee, different ways to eat a Cadbury cream egg are shown, including two grown men sharing one of the eggs in a highly offensive way for kids or adults. Sign the pledge to let Cadbury know you won't support their immorality with your money. Just go to afa.net. That's afa.net. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction and for training in righteousness. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Christ's followers must contend for the authority of Scripture in every generation. Current societal challenges that are described as culture wars are really societal attacks on the authority and application of Scripture. American Family Studios has created a documentary film project that will aid you in effectively conveying a reason for your unwavering trust in Jesus and unflinching confidence in his word. You need this in your life. Go to thegodwhospeaks.org to get this resource. You won't be disappointed. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Ryan Fisher here with the Life and Liberty Minute. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Not all anger is bad. Some things ought to make us angry, but we must not allow that anger to turn into sin by carrying our anger over even to the next day. We do that by forgiving the person who angered us before we go to sleep. Forgiveness is a decision, not an emotion. Forgiveness is the choice to release people from their debt to us and hand them over to God for discipline. Then we must refuse to bring up past offenses to hurt somebody or score points in an argument. If we don't forgive, then we give a place to the devil to work in our lives. But if we do choose to forgive, we'll discover that the anger and hate will slowly dissipate as we walk out our forgiveness. And that's the path of both life and liberty. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Prominent Chinese influence operator named Di Dongcheng recently bragged that China's old friends on Wall Street had for decades ensured that U.S. government policy suited Beijing. He relished the prospect that after a rough patch with Donald Trump, America would once again be submissive to the PRC under a compliant President Joe Biden. That was before then-Secretary of State Mike Pompeo designated the CCP's brutal repression of Uyghur Muslims as genocide. And it was before two top Biden administration officials, Mr. Pompeo's successor, Tony Blinken, and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen told Congress they agreed with that designation. Now the Chinese communists and their enablers on Wall Street are frantically trying to dissuade the Biden administration from formalizing the genocide finding as it would interfere with their lucrative but fundamentally anti-American business dealings with Beijing. It is genocide. We must say so. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. 888-589-8840 is the number to call. Going to go to our phones in just a second. You know, it's in the last 10 days as we were talking with Gary Bauer there, uh, Joe Biden has showed his hand as to uh, the fact that he's not a moderate. They tried to portray him as that during the election campaign, but he is not. You look at those now 40 or 40-plus executive orders that he has passed. He is following the radical agenda, as AOC gave him credit for. He is following the radical agenda of the most radical left of his party. No question about it. And he is going to do it. (laughs) And then we reminded people of his reference to dictatorship when uh, leaders use executive orders during the election campaign. Well, he is now king of executive orders, folks. You have to understand, Trump, 
Barack Obama, single-digit executive orders. Not Joe Biden. He's up to 40. He is out to fundamentally change this country. Fundamentally change this country. Socialism being imposed. That's what's going on here. You have to understand this. This this $1.9 trillion plan, COVID-19 relief, this is all about getting the government more into your life and making you more dependent on the government. That's what sows the seeds of socialism. You have to understand that. When the government comes along with a palm up and says, look what I'm going to do for you, you got to remember, behind they have the other hand behind their back, and that other hand is a fist. Be very clear about that, folks. It's about, it's almost like the drug dealer. You know, they, they give small doses out these drug dealers first, then they get you caught, and then they got you hooked. And that's why our alarm bells should be going off right now, because that's Joe Biden's path. All right, let's go to our phones. Let's go first to Ohio. We say good morning to Linda. Welcome to the program. Linda, go ahead. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like to make a suggestion to all the 74 million people that voted for Trump that they get out there and boycott the red states, or the, the blue states, especially the six that made this mess to begin with. You're talking about uh, states like Pennsylvania and Georgia. Uh, you know, it, what's really interesting, Linda, and uh, the idea of boycotting is, is speaking with your, your pocketbook. But here's the reality of what happened in those states. The executive in those states, the governors, the secretary of states which control uh, the elections, they just decided on their own they were going to ignore state laws. I think the outcome would have been incredibly different if those states had just followed the laws that were on the books, but they did not. And they used the pandemic as an excuse, for instance, uh, to uh, to just go crazy on allowing people to advance voting, on, on voting from home. And we know that uh, Senator Rand Paul the other day was talking about one state, I think it was Wisconsin, where there are at least 10,000 ballots that just had the name on the ballot, no address. That is 100% contrary to that state's laws. But they were counted. That's the kind of thing that people need to be aware of. So pressure needs to be applied by people in those states. Your, Your idea for a boycott is a valid one, but pressure needs to be applied. Court action needs to continue because we can't allow a governor, a secretary of state, just to say, I don't care what the law says, I'm going to do this. If it was all in reverse, we know what the Democrats would be doing. They'd be off to court. They'd find themselves a judge that's going to listen to them and not dismiss them on technicalities, which we saw so much of. Linda, thanks for your call. appreciate it. Uh, Out to Texas. Good morning, Jerry. Go ahead. Good morning. I uh, just want to say that I do live in Texas, and my kids are in school. Um, we're fortunate and blessed enough that they go to a private school, uh, and I homeschool one of my children. The, the point I want to get to real quick is is that I do feel uh, sympathy for the parents that live in states where their kids aren't back in school. Mm-hmm. 
my school has set up, the school my children go to has set up a uh, communication system and a detailed cleaning process every day. Mm-hmm. But even with that said, at least one to two times a week, I get an email notice that some student in one of the grades, no names, no nothing, just the ninth grade, in the ninth grade, a student was exposed to COVID or came back with a positive COVID test. Right. I have yet to to get an email that says, unfortunately, while the student was exposed, that student has now passed away. I have not gotten one email. Now, I get one to two a week that say a teacher of this grade or a student of this grade, very detailed. There's been no other close contacts. We're tracking it. The cleaning process continues to go. So my point is, is that there's no reason for schools to be closed when the science shows kids can get it. They don't suffer from it as long or as severely. Not only that, they have a more active immune system to it. So I just want to say I do feel for those parents whose children are still not able to go to school because I do homeschool one of my children that needs a more one-on-one environment uh, for his learning. And so... You know, it's just how it is in our family. We're blessed. Our other kids go to a private school that's in school. And where I live, all the schools are going uh, in in Texas. Uh, but I, I do understand that dad's frustration in Virginia. I lived in Virginia when I was in the military. Not a big fan of Virginia. Would never move back to Virginia. I call it the <laughs> communist wealth state. But that's just what I wanted to say. Kids get it. They survive it better than older adults. And yeah. I know, uh, Jerry, we appreciate your comments. And to all our listeners in Virginia, we love you, uh, and, and we feel for you. And uh, I know there are a lot of uh, folks in Virginia who feel like that dad who got up in the Loud- Loudoun County School District meeting the other night and expressed some frustration. Our caller from Texas pointing out, has that dad pointed was trying to point out to that school board, there is a way to do this safely. Point number one, CDC, you want to follow the science? The Centers for Disease Control, encouraging schools to open. There's a way to do this because kids, younger kids, are not as vulnerable as adults. And yes, for teachers, there's a way to protect them. There is a way to do this instead of staying shut down completely. It is sad as what's going on out there, folks. We've seen suicide rates going up amongst kids. This, this, is not, this is not a game. We have got to get our kids back in school. But we've got to be like that parent in Virginia. If your school board is reluctant to do it, find a way to do it. But you've got to pressure them to do it. They're, they're there to work for you folks, not vice versa. Let's stay in Texas and uh, we say good morning to Ed. Ed, go ahead. Yes, sir. Go ahead. I think that a whole lot of the president's plan is for us to go to socialism, and the way that you get there is that you've got to make capitalism not work. And he's doing that by shutting down the energy sector and all the other places that he's uh, eliminating work to keep people out of work and and own the dough and our debt is going to get so high that we're going to have to be bailed out and you you can't to my mind go from capitalism to socialism without capitalism failing 
and capitalism failing fails when you don't let capitalism operate. You're exactly right, Ed. And with regards to the pandemic, it's really interesting when you look at states like uh, Florida, uh, Governor DeSantis there, uh, you look at states like uh, South Dakota, they're doing just fine. For the most part, they are leaving it up to, they put certain precautions in place, but for the most part, and I'm thinking of uh, Governor Kristi Noem in South Dakota, what she has said from the beginning, for the most part, they're relying on the common sense of their own citizens in this. Unlike in other states, you know, there's a reason. And, and, and when you see what's happening in California, I think the lights are going on amongst even Democrats in California. This recall effort that's underway of uh, Governor Newsom two, three days ago was already up to 1.2 million People have signed on to this, this recall effort. Uh, they're probably going to get $2 million before too long, and that'll be plenty enough for a recall effort uh, on the November ballot. But people are getting frustrated. They're getting frustrated with their leadership in these states. Like I say, DeSantis in, in Florida and Kristi Noem in South Dakota are proving that we can get through this without shutting down the, the economies completely. We can get through this by taking steps to reopen our schools, to get our kids back in schools. But it's the reluctance, and I have to say for the most part, it's Democrat-controlled states to do this kind of thing. And as our caller pointed out, the effort may be to get more and more people dependent on the government, which he says, as it pointed out, leads to socialism. Brian, good morning. Go ahead. Good morning. Go ahead. Yes. Um, I was wanting to talk about the, the opening of the schools. I know the children are suffering, and I know they're, you know, the suicide rates have gone up. But we're really fighting to get our kids back into school so they can indoctrinate the open. And I just don't understand why we would do that. I mean, we're people of creation. We should, we should create. I, let me tell you, Brian. Uh, I, another I, I, way. I've got to move on. Two separate incidents. Uh, two separate uh, issues here. Getting the schools reopened is one thing. I agree with you that uh, many public schools have become indoctrination centers, but that's another issue where parents have got to get involved. Where schools that are adopting history lessons that don't reflect reality, be like that parent in Virginia. Go to the school board meetings and speak up about it. That's what has to be done. Our guest Gary Bauer was talking about this. Citizens have got to get involved and speak out. It has to be that way. So uh, don't use the indoctrination thing. And I've, I've, if you've heard me on the air over the last many years, very concerned about the indoctrination going on in our education system. But that's another issue. Let's get our kids back in school but let's keep going to the school board meetings after the schools have opened and let's keep examining what our kids are being taught. And you tell those school boards and you go to the teacher and say, we're not going to put up this, with this as parents. And if it leads to what another caller was talking about a few moments ago, to your kids being educated either at home or in a Christian school, so be it. That's the way the politicians will take notice. But you know what? The left-wing politicians will keep doing what they are doing unless parents, unless citizens speak up. 
All right. I think we have time for one more call. Uh, let's go to Mississippi. We say good morning to Mona. Good morning. I just, uh, I'm just i Mona from Mississippi, of course. I just wanted to say that uh, the way the world is, you mentioned Christian schools. I have two uh, small grandchildren that um, there's no way that their parents, that my kids or me, would allow them to go into the school system. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to put them in a Christian school for sure because the way things are going, um, it's just horrible. It's terrible to think that what our children are being taught in school. When I was a kid, never thought about being taught uh, about you know homosexuality or uh, is uh, Islam or anything like that. You never thought about it, but it's coming, and you know we're just not going to allow it for mm-hmm. our kids. <laughs> yep. Well, I tell you what, if there are elections uh, in your jurisdiction this fall, or uh, whatever the case may be, uh, now's the time right now to speak up. You go talk to the candidates. All right, where do you stand on these issues? Where do you stand on what our, our kids are learning in our public schools? And if you're not satisfied, find a candidate that, uh, that will understand your concerns. And if you can't find a candidate, you do what Mona in Mississippi is doing. You find another school. You got to fight back, folks. And, you know, there are there's some Christians that trouble me sometimes saying, you know, stay out of politics. But then they allow their kids to be indoctrinated and they wonder why their kids wander away from the faith. All right, I'm taking the preaching here. Gotta run though. Hey, listen, take care, folks. Have yourself a great weekend and stay tuned to American Family Radio. We are here for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. God bless you. Have yourself a great weekend. We'll see you again real soon. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.